Good evening, and welcome to yet another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a multimedia monster podcast. I will be your host for this episode, Cameron, and joining me, we've got the whole trio, uh, the the holy trinity of horror. Uh, I've got Dave with me. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, and I like that holy trinity of horror thing. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna run with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent. Uh, and of course, we have our indispensable comrade in arms, Leonard. Leonard, how are you? I'm fine, and apparently the Holy Ghost, the most nebulous Ed Bay <laughs> uh, member of the horror Holy Trinity. That's fair. That's I'm not fair. really here. I'm not really a person. I'm just like some ghost voice that exists yeah. on the internet. Mm. Yeah, you're the ghost in the machine. Yeah, uh. I'm always just like, play more evil within too. It's a good thing. It's good. That's- it's got a big eyeball. Bethesda left it to die. They really, they really did. It's very sad, actually. God, Get it now like, while it's on sale. Speaking yeah. of things that were left to die, does anyone remember Battleborn coming out like a week before Overwatch? Oh, I do. Yes, I do. That was I, was, I was like, that game, I'm like, I don't like a lot of things about that game, but there's mm. robot gentlemen with mm. a walking cane sniper rifle and a smart hat. I'm kind of okay with it. And then yeah. I heard some of the dialogue and I was like, oh. oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's okay. A, it's, a, it's a gearbox game made yeah. after, I'm made after Borderlands 2. The writing's yeah. real bad. That's all right. They took it out into a shield, into a field and shot it as yep. part of the release. So you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's it, yeah. What what what? Here, hey hey, audience at home. Here's a pretty good yeah. analogy of 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 Battleborn to Overwatch. It's like the last act of Looper. Like everything mm-hmm. that almost nearly everything that happens in the last act of looper is 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 a pretty apt analogy of yeah, yeah. battleborn to overwatch <laughs> oh god um so with that with that behind us uh this evening our agenda is to cover a, a very famous not i can't say we're covering the period but covering fi- a couple of films from a very famous period uh in horror film the hammer horror era which was sort of the 50s to 70s. Uh, we're focusing fairly early, I believe. I know my one was 1958. Um, yeah, so uh, back back, back in time when Hammer Film production sort of dominated the horror market and produced a ton of really good classics. Um, I will be talking about Dracula or horror of Dracula to the American and Australian audiences because no one wanted to get confused with Bela Lugosi's version. Um, and I believe Dave and Leonard will be talking about Captain Kronos. That is correct. Captain Kronos. 1974, yep. so it'll be the end wow. kind yeah. of, of uh, that era. Oh, that's interesting. Getting kind of the, the beginning slash peak and the, the end of the big <laughs> hammer boom. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, but first, of course, we have our time on a tradition to uphold. It's time for that most wonderful of segments, Yokai of the Week. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, so if you are 
you're joining us today uh, as part of the influx of Richard Gear staff is attempting to determine the truth about our podcast. Uh, Yoko of the Week is a section where we randomly generate some numbers through physical and electronic aids uh, and pick a Japanese uh, folklore creature from a big old list of these things. Uh, we are currently on the letter N. N for uh, Nokai of the Week. I don't know, I'm not very good at that bit of the... That bit of the that bit of the gag. Uh, anyway, in the uh, in the time on a tradition, uh, Dave, will you please roll them? Fourteen. Excellent. Uh, we have the Nuri Botoke. Okay. Some so, kind of corpse. Yes. The, a very unhappy corpse. He's got he's got the worst of it. Uh, it is a yokai in Japanese mythology, depicted as an animated corpse with darkened skin and dangling eyeballs. Um, which yeah, that, that's rough. <laughs> uh, their name literally means lacquered Buddha, which references their black lacquer color and their resemblance to Buddha. Although the term for Buddha can also be used to mean any deceased si- spirit. God, my eyes just died for a second there um <laughs> it's also sometimes been referred to as kurobo uh do, do we have a translation on that or... uh that's like probably bo like bozu and then okay black so it's just yeah black priest so black. yeah that's fair uh they are often portrayed with largely blurred stomachs and appear often as a buddhist priest well there we go uh, they are usually depicted with a long black appendage coming from their back, which is generally drawn as a catfish's tail, but is sometimes drawn as long black hair, especially in Edo period portrayals. Okay. Uh, Leonard, do you want wow. to continue? Yeah. Um, wait, <laughs> wait a second. Can mm. Mm. I love, I love, I love, I love yokai so much. I love <laughs> I love it when they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, it's probably have like a catfish whisker coming out the mm. back. Yeah. Or yeah. It might be there. But, it would, you it know. just be a sick ponytail. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's always my favorite. It's always just like, yeah, it's a corpse with dangling eyeballs, but it's also got like a weird appendage coming out of its back. <laughs> like it makes. <laughs> Yuka of the Week makes like every single monster in Resident Evil make sense to me. Yeah. Um, no, that's fair. It's like, oh yeah, it's just a this mass of flailing tentacles and just nonsense. Okay, cool. This is just cultural. Um Man, I love it. I can't, it's great. I can't wait. I can't wait for the nemesis monster that's just a flaming cat that descends from the heavens <laughs> to grab stars members. <laughs> oh man. Oh no! It's those B O W ghost lights that are flying <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, it's a, it's an airborne virus. Flickers. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, they're believed to appear from uh, Butsudan mm-hmm. uh, that have either been left open overnight or have been poorly made god i love it or have been poorly maintained i love it it's just like 
yeah, you got to treat your little Buddha shrine with respect. Oh, I love it so much. It's so, <laughs> otherwise it's, the Buddha turns into a zombie. It's the most. It's always the yeah, yeah. It's literally like like um, make sure that it, listen. It's like make sure that uh, that that you keep the uh, cathedral of the deep doors closed, or else you just get. <laughs> wandering clergy get, yep you're just gonna get a bunch of zombie monks just yeah. having Those a party here he comes <laughs> oh, oh i love it um oftentimes they appear as deceased family members or as a deceased family member in order to scare the family <laughs> fair um mm. however as evidenced as evidenced by the catfish tale it may be the corpse. It may be that the corpse is controlled by another being, or be a yokai in disguise. Uh, sometimes it will appear as a Buddhist priest and act as a messenger of the Buddha, but give out false prophecies to full worshippers. According to some stories, it may appear, uh, may appear simply to maintain a Buddhist. Uh, uh, said, wow, I had it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sudan. There we go. Butsudan, uh, that is in disrepair. That's nice. Uh, yeah. It's also believed to dance often, especially during the <laughs> Demon's Night Parade. Okay, so we got a, a zombie with a fishtail ponytail that either appears to scare you because you didn't maintain your shrine properly or just appears to maintain maintain the shrine itself and also does a little dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is pretty this is pretty good. <laughs> oh god. I love you guys so much. <laughs> uh, Dave, do we have further information on this delightful creature? We do. An entry in the Night Parade of 100 Demons. The Nuribotoke translation coded Buddha. Habitat, poorly cared for family altars, rundown homes, diet, nothing. <laughs> Appearance, the Nuribotoke is a grotesque zombie-like spirit which creeps out of a butsudan or family altar that has been accidentally left open at night. So that, that jives with the Wikipedia entry. Mm -hmm. yep, it is a yep. soft, flabby corpse-like spirit with oily black skin and a pungent smell. Trailing behind is a catfish-like tail connected to its spine. This... Uh, the most striking and disturbing feature is this spirit's eyeballs, which dangle wildly from its eye sockets. Interactions. Mm. Nuribotoke do not... Wait. They do not, do not do much other than fly about, flap their tails, and terrorize the families. With, <laughs> uh, it's like Beetlejuice. Um, and terrorize the families <laughs> whose Pusidon they crawled out from. They dance about impishly and revel in their ability to terrorize the living. Uh, occasionally, they try to trick foolish humans by giving false prophecies. Uh, they can be kept at bay, important, by sprinkling salt on the floor, which they will avoid crossing. Nuribotoke must return to the Butsudan before sunrise, and they vanish altogether during the day. Even though they are mostly harmless, it is best to prevent their appearance altogether by shutting the Butsudan at night, so close the doors to your family shrine. Origin in most Japanese homes, there is a large, ornate wooden shrine called a butsudan. Inside are religious icons, scrolls, mantras, statues, and other holy items. It serves as the center of the household spirituality, and the ancestors of a family are all enshrined in it. 
During the day, the Butsudan stays open. During holidays and special occasions, it is treated like a member of the family and treated to offerings of food and sake. The doors to Butsudan are always closed at sunset. The Butsudan is a gateway to the spirit world. Superstition warns that if the Butsudan is left open, certain spirits can wander freely back and forth between the land of the living and the land of the dead. Nuribotoke is one of those spirits. And now we have a more concise explanation of the Nuribotoke and why he's coded the coded boy. Nuribotoke's skin is black because of lacquering, which helps explain the meaning of its name, Coded Buddha. Japan is a wet country, and the corpses did not last long in the old days. Before modern preservation <laughs> techniques came into the country, corpses would putrefy during the hot and humid summers. Embalming a corpse in lacquer was one method of preservation. Lacquer embalming was particularly used with the corpses of important priests. Nuribotoke's lacquered skin reflects the high status it had during its lifetime. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a historical reason why this uh, yokai may exist and someone was just mm. viewing a lacquered priest and got spooked. <laughs> I don't know where the fish whisker and why its eyes were dangly. That's also more disturbing if you think about it. Mm. Yeah, like his eyes bad. just was popped right out. Uh, I uh, like that. I like the I like that the initial uh, the its initial description from uh, the night parade um, sounded like um, the the comments that a a more popular yokai would leave in its uh, high school yearbook. It's very very unflattering the description. It's very flabby. Um, yeah, yeah. he's very pungent. Yeah, flabby, pungent, doesn't smell, not very popular at all with the rest of the yokais. Completely <laughs> harmless, completely ineffectual, but like, ooh, you might get scared for a second, yeah. but just close the doors and he's gone. And that boy can dance. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, God. This section is always such a delight. Uh, but I think it is time to bring it to an end, so... This has been Yokai of the Week. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> All right, back to the main topic at hand. So we are going to be discussing uh, two films from the Hammer Horror era of film. Uh, for some elucidation on the classification of this era, Hammer Film Productions is a British film company uh, based in London. They were founded in 1934 and sort of made a name for themselves between the mid-1950s and all the way up until the 1970s. Uh, they were so particularly famous and well-loved because they were the first one of the first studios to bring classic horror monsters to life in full color, uh, sort of running off, the count, uh, running off the backs of Frankenstein, Dracula, the mummy, uh, the werewolf, wolfman all that kind of good stuff. Um, and yeah, they, they sort of dominated the market for a good 20 odd years there. Uh, and good for them. They made some fantastic film. Uh, so we are going to start off with me uh, because I was, I was the one who was different and watched a different film uh, <laughs> because of course I did. Uh, so I watched Dracula 1958 or also known as Horror of Dracula, uh, just to not confuse anyone who enjoys the Bela Lugosi version of such things. Uh, It was 
directed by Terence Fisher, produced by Anthony Hines, uh, and starred Peter Cushing as Van Helsing and Christopher Lee as the uh, eponymous Dracula. So some some big names uh, in, in the lead roles there. Uh, it was uh, released in 1958 and is, of course, based off the Bram Stoker novel, same name. Uh, so I watched this early today and it was a real treat, honestly. Um, it was not... Oh, this, it, w- it was interesting to me because it, it is definitely far removed from the traditional Dracula storyline of the Bram Stoker novel, uh, but at the same time keeps enough elements to very clearly be you know, an adaptation of the same. Uh, it, it was just, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was really, it was really interesting to see, um, oh, my brain is just, what's the character's name? I've totally lost the character's name immediately. Um, <laughs> I'm very smart like that. Uh, ah, Jonathan Harker, like, coming to Castle Dracula to start, and it's not a chance encounter. He's not taken in by this handsome encounter. It's like, no, I know this guy's a vampire. No. <laughs> no like, Here is a monster hunter. Yeah. <laughs> There's there's your big twist for uh, your 1958 audience who read the novel like yeah I know what's going to happen in this movie. <laughs> Ca- Cam- mm. Ca- Cameron, I do have yeah. one one very important cra- question. Yes, is 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 there a scene where Grandma Tarkin fires the Death Star at Saruman? <laughs> um. <laughs> um, I mean there 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 is. The effective scene, uh, which is sort of the climax of the film, uh, that effectively conveys that part, uh, it was actually <laughs> honestly, um, yeah. But like, yeah, we 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 take a we take a left turn from the traditional Dracula script pretty immediately when Jonathan Harker pulls out a wooden stake and a hammer. <laughs> like he's a professional vampire hunter; he knows what he's doing. Um, uh, unfortunately, he's not very successful. He gets tricked by uh, Dracula's bride at the time, uh, gets himself bitten, uh, and although he manages to kill her, he himself is turned by Dracula, and Van Helsing has to put him down when he shows up a few days later, uh, which, wow, we're already, like, weird and out of out of the loop of the traditional Dracula story, but it, it stays pretty uh, pretty consistent past that point, honestly, you know, Dracula himself travels back and begins to prey on the people Harker and Van Helsing know. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I might as well cut to it. There's a lot of there's a lot of really good scenes, but the best one is sort of the final scene between Cushing and Christopher Lee, uh, where it's Van Helsing fighting Dracula. It's a really good scene. Um, throughout the film, Cushing actually displays a lot of athleticism, and I'm not sure if there was stuntmen involved, but he's doing things like jumping like five feet straight up to hurdle the first half of the staircase to go up faster and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, okay. That, yeah, that may um, not have been him. <laughs> may not have been him, but if it was, I was impressed. Uh, I mean, he was fairly young comparatively at the time. It was the 50s, not not recently. Um, <laughs> not recently, okay. Yeah. I don't know, he may have gotten more powerful as he aged yeah that's true. <laughs> uh but yeah that, that that final scene is really really good where he's sort of confronting dracula in dracula's castle as the sun is rising um and the death star equivalent moment is when peter cushing grabs two candlesticks to form a cross to oh yes dracula back into a pool of sunlight which was really great actually <laughs> 
some some good acting on both their parts uh and the special effects were a really a lot of fun um sort of going with that even through your clothes sunlight will turn you as a vampire to dust um and i'm not sure how they did it because it's really interesting you know he had his foot first and they pulled away the trouser leg and there was a pile of dust that one's fairly easy but then he got a hand back into it and it sort of crumpled into almost like leathery like the bones and flesh dusted but the hand skin remained oh yeah as a sort of gray leather which was awful and lovely at the same time um and then you know as dracula fully goes back into the sunlight there is this great bit where he like focuses in on his face as it does that same like gray leathery thing but his eyes have very clearly been replaced with little light bulbs with like yep. <laughs> well painted on eyes on them but they're just glowing <laughs> as he slowly turns to dust um yeah that got lots of great things uh they sort of introduced obviously color to the character of dracula at this point but they had things like you know he's he's this handsome really sexy kind of suave guy um uh, apparently a big thing at the time of the release was people were really uh, intrigued and excited by the idea that all these women wanted to be bitten by Dracula. Like, uh, a, God, what's her name? Uh, Lucy. Yes, Lucy Homewood, who was uh, Jonathan Harker's betrothed in this version of the story, actually, like, after their first encounter, which is shown, which is not shown. It's off screen, uh, but she's ill, and no one can figure out why she's always got this anemia, no matter what medicine she takes. It turns out she's just inviting Dracula into her room every night because she wants to be bitten. Like it is, it is really portraying. It's this first step into portraying vampirism as this sexy, dangerous, desirable thing, which was actually quite interesting comparatively to um, the the more traditional thing of. Yeah, no, Dracula is feeding on people as victims rather than this, or not quite a two-way street, obviously. He's, he's a terrible monster, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is not one where they had to do a lot of special effects or prosthetics or anything like that. You know, you got your teeth, you got your contact lenses for when he's, um, when he's angry. He gets really bloodshot eyes. Uh, and, which, and then you've got Christopher Lee for all the rest. Yeah, the rest is pure Christopher Lee. But yeah, um, in a in a slightly more modern context, I did have the the flash across my mind that Dracula looks really high whenever he gets mad. Um, yes, <laughs> it, it, it's just extremely bloodshot. He's always hungry. You know, it's just you know he needs something to eat. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I like to imagine that he, he 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 instead of using hypnosis or some sort of mystical ability, that he just constantly go up to women and say, "You know, I kn- I actually knew J.R.R. Tolkien in real life." <laughs> yeah, um, I, I fought the Nazis. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could we could do a whole like history episode on Christopher Lee's life. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, where was it? My, my brain has fallen through momentarily. Um, no, I, ha- I had something and it, it's disappeared with that. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there we go. Back on track. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we get the sort of quite traditional vampire weaknesses here, obviously stake through the heart. 
sunlight, pretty simple. Uh, we also get the uh, the conditions of being a vampire, which is when you sleep in your coffin, it has to be filled with grave dirt from your homeland. Oh, uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is an interesting one and actually is... Uh, I can't call it massively important in the story, but it has a it has a point where um they discover Dracula's coffin in the uh Holmwood cellar, effectively packed with grave dirt, and Van Helsing chucks a cross in there. Dracula can't use that one anymore, so he's forced to steal <laughs> a coach and ride all the way back to his castle to get more grave dirt from his grave to put in a different coffin so he can rest during the day. Oh, you, th- you think he it, would it know that great. and like keep a little pouch, a little extra? Pouch. Yeah, apparently not. I mean, it might have to be a lot. You don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, 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 I love, I love the idea of Van Helsing, uh, hard gluing uh, Dracula's uh, coffin. <laughs> just like, nope, can't use this one anymore. There's a cross in it. Like, really? Oh man. FromSoft should do a vampire game, actually. Where <laughs> instead of bonfires, you've got coffins. I'd be into that. <laughs> They've got all the animations. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't worry. We just we just wait for Code Vein. It's very soon. Uh, fair. Yeah, that is actually soon. Oh, man. Um, yeah, uh, which is interesting. Um, and brain. Sorry. Yes. Grave dirt. necessary. Yep. Interesting. Good. Um... They don't really they don't really talk about the not being seen in mirrors or anything like that, uh, but they do mention garlic. Uh, there is a an inn near Dracula's castle that is just absolutely festooned with the stuff. Uh, they don't like to talk about why, but it's obvious why. You got a local vampire. Um, uh, and certain herbs and flowers of particular uh, particular breeds are apparently not dangerous to him but unpleasant uh at one point they attempt to they lock all the windows in lucy's room they put a bunch of uh particularly strong smelling flowers in there uh as an attempt to prevent dracula from preying on her any further uh and it would have worked if not for the fact that she wanted that sexy sexy christopher lee uh and knocked over all the flowers got a maid to take them away and open the windows uh, <laughs> I'm d- I just like to imagine that he's like, blah, blah, seasonal allergies, blah. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Yeah. It's that sensitive nose of his. Seven secret there. herbs and spices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> uh, and what I actually really liked about this movie is it a, a big important thing of horror that is not always there in uh, more modern movies is that you occasionally do need like comic relief. Like there, there has to be that odd point where you can go, <sighs> and everything's okay just for a second. So the tension can, can begin sort of ramping back up. And there were a couple of really great bits uh, here. There was Van Helsing listening back to his recordings on how vampires work and stuff. And uh, someone comes in and it's just, you know, gives him a letter and goes, uh, were you were you talking to someone? Because there's no one else in this room. It goes, no, of course I was talking to myself. And the guy just looks at him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the height of comedy, uh, I will accept no substitute, is the poor toll master on the uh, on the border between whichever two countries this take place in. It's not 100 percent clear. Like I would assume Britain, but 
then where is Dracula's castle? Because they're clearly not riding a coach across the British Channel. Um, so who knows? It's a little unclear. Uh, but th- there is a man who mans the toll booth uh, with its <laughs> long bar of painted wood to prevent passage without, you know, showing your passports, etc. And he wakes up in the middle of the night to just hear someone drive right through that dang thing because it's Dracula on his way home to get that grave dirt. Um, <laughs> and he's just extremely unhappy. You know, he gets up, the pole snapped in half. He slowly, like, fixes it, uh, which we don't get to see, but he's fixed it and he's affixed a light to it to make sure that people can see it at night because clearly that was the issue. Uh, <laughs> and he fixes it right in time for Van Helsing chasing Dracula on a coach to drive right through it again. And just the look on the look on that poor Tollmaster's face was the height of comedy in this film. It was so good. <laughs> um, but otherwise, yeah, it, it, it is a very standard, typical Dracula movie, in part because it is sort of the prototypical modern Dracula movie. This is where all the, the famous vampire films are sort of drawn from for a lot of things on, you know... If they want a civilized vampire, they draw on Christopher Lee's performance as this sort of very well-educated, genteel man with that savagery underneath. Uh, you know, sexy vampire, he's there as well. People want him. He's mysterious. Uh, he's very he's very uh, gentlemanly as well. Um, at one point, he's sucking someone's blood and he lifts the cape up in front of the camera to make sure there's privacy. <laughs> um, uh, lots of things like that. Um, yeah, it, it is... Obviously not the first vampire movie. Uh, pretty sure the honors for that go to Nosferatu way back when. That's very hard to get a, a get a good watch of. Uh, and there is, of course, Bela Lugosi's Dracula film from the 30s. Uh, but th- this really exemplifies Hammer Horror to me because it is just a good, not, I wouldn't even call it like a pulpy uh, <laughs> horror movie. It, it, it's just a good movie. Like even now, 70 odd years later it holds up pretty well so yeah I, I, if you haven't seen it you should go see it honestly you'll, you'll know basically everything that happened even without having listened to this but like yeah it, it's worth a watch still I would say alright well mm. well Cameron the, the thing <laughs> the, the most important messaging that I got from that <laughs> was that you clearly believe that Gary Oldman just completely stole his performance from Christopher Lee uh, yeah. and is a, and is a hack fraud and needs to return <laughs> any and all awards that he's been awarded. That, Look, that, that's what Christopher I thought. Lee is a pillar of theater. Uh, I should say was a pillar of theater, I guess. Uh, rest in peace, Count Dracula. Just kidding. He's alive in Eastern somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yes. Making, making yes. more heavy metal yes. albums. <laughs> Oh, do- God, do- yeah. Dodging Square Enix, uh, uh, people <laughs> from Square Enix that are like, hey, when are you going to come back as Diz again for the next Kingdom Hearts in the <laughs> next 30 years? No, no more. I will retreat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he, he was an icon, and, you know, th- this is not his first role, I'm pretty sure, but it is one of his iconic roles. Yes. Yeah, yeah it, it it is really fantastic. Then, uh, if you want, there's like eight sequels you can watch. Oh yeah, they yeah. went. Oh, this works. Let's keep making these. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, some more worthy than others, but you know, 
I'll leave that to the uh, to the audience to discern for themselves. Uh, so, shall the two of you tell me about Captain Kronos? Uh, because um, I've I've not watched this. <laughs> I'm into it. I, I'll do a <clears throat> super brief synopsis of the the film mm. as a whole. So, this was uh, released in 1974, directed by Brian Clemens, who only has, I believe, one other directing credit. Um, Possibly due to this film, the reception was poor, uh, but he has an extensive uh, writing credits. And prior to this, he wrote uh, most of the series, The Avengers. And we will also mm-hmm. note that most of the cast from this, aside from the two or three come contracted uh, Hammer Productions uh, cast members, uh, most of the cast is from uh, Avengers. So hmm. the, and, and, uh, go ahead. And for for those under under a very specific age range, we're not talking about Marvel Avengers. There no. is there, there is a, there is a British series <laughs> known uh, as the Avengers, which well, is super 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 complicated. There was I mean, a really terrible film adaptation, like. Two we, decades ago, we don't talk about that one, but the uh, the uh, actual series is good. Yeah, <laughs> but hear me out. We could have instead of Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, we could have Captain America Vampire Hunter, and I feel that's a worthwhile explore exploration thing to go into. They hey, guess what? probably <laughs> already did that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they and, did. And also, Marvel <laughs> did just announce the whole What If series, so that is mm, a that's actual. Fair. Oh, it's up there. Maybe they'll maybe I'll go with Deadpool kills the Marvel universe for what if that'd be good. <laughs> but Dave, go on, tell so, us more. Um, yes, the the lead actor in this, uh, Horst Jensen, was a um, a German actor that they they pulled in for this role in particular uh, because of not only his bearing but his his somewhat. Um, credible sword fighting skills. Um, the the film may have suffered, and I think one point <laughs> due to that, but the culmination was was well done. Um, we also have John Carson uh, from the Avengers as uh, um, oh no, he's, yeah, yes, he was also I think he was in the Avengers. Um, Doctor Marcus, and then John Cater, who was in the Avengers um, as uh, Professor Grost. Uh, the actress playing portraying Carla, Caroline Monroe, is one of the um, Hammer Productions uh, contractually contractorally obligated um, actresses, as was um, Shane Briant, um, who plays Paul Durward. Durward. The the general plot of this is Kronos and his assistant, or not his associate, um, Professor Grost, are summoned to a small kind of out-of-the-way town by uh, his old friend, Dr. Marcus. Uh, Kronos himself, as well as Dr. Marcus, were in some unnamed war uh, together. They're war buddies, and um, Kronos has made use of his uh, status. He's like a minor... I wouldn't say he's no... Bi- he's Mm-hmm. It's kind of nobility. It, it, it implies mm-hmm. that yes, he's he's he has some noble blood. Um, 
but I guess he's using the maybe the fundings from that and his status uh, to wreck uh, revenge, I guess, <laughs> against <laughs> against any and all vampires and potentially other creatures. Um, so they're investigating these uh, strange murders that are happening out in the countryside. Um, they they come across Carla, who is a gypsy woman um and she basically joins their their little troop um and goes to fight the vampires that's that's the long and short of it there's not any nothing else really happens aside from that uh leonard just overall what was your impression of the film uh, I have, uh, it has been a long time that, uh, since I have watched a movie that existed literally in the moment that the scene has take is taking place in, um, there, uh, somebody said, no, no, no exposition for the audience. They will see things and that will be in chronological order. And that is the film. Um, I kind of, I, I love everything about this film except for this film. I think the world is super <laughs> interesting. I think the characters are neat, but man, it, as as a film, it is literally just a series of it is actually a series of unfortunate events told chronologically. Um I kind of love I kind of love this movie, but it was infuriating and I spent most of it rewriting it in my head. <laughs> to make it something that that would work for a modern audience um but yeah i i really love the world of this movie um uh, uh dave uh uh did not mention but this is not your typical blah blah blood blood vampire <laughs> um this vampire subsists on youth so it is um it is my favorite thing, which is um, vampire attacks. Uh, young girl, young girl screams. There is a drop. There is blood for some reason. And then when the young girl is discovered, uh, old lady makeup on young girl. Uh, and it is fantastic. It is my favorite <laughs> thing. It is like old up this 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 young girl. And I'm just like, oh, look at all that old lady makeup. It's great. I think they actually got a older woman like once. Uh, yeah, t- t- a few of the times it was um, it was older women in a bunch of old, old lady makeup <laughs> to make them look even older. <laughs> so um, they, I mean, they, they they died as a result of the oldening. Like their yes, was it, 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 completely drained. They're yeah to the yeah, last it's, drop. It, they yeah it, it it was it was it was that time release aging vampire bite <laughs> um um uh but yeah um i was really just like so there are things that in this movie that i i really love um uh first of all being the uh deward uh siblings yes um paul and sarah yeah um who are uh, exactly the 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 Ponzi uh, rich, um, uh, vaguely sinister 
um, characters because another aspect of this movie is it is also a mystery because we don't know who the vampire is and it's time for red herrings mm. and blah, blah, blah. So the, 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 the aristocratic siblings get to be super weird and just, and just fop all over the screen. And it's my favorite thing. It's, it's, it's really absolutely, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, on a note like the what's your note what you're noticing of the film and how it's constructed is very specific and deliberate um the director had this the the pitch i guess for the movie was for a, a new leading character and a kind of a serialization to be able to go on a bunch of adventures and right. he specifically named captain chronos cuz he wanted the adventures to kind of take place in different time periods with different types of vampires just to kind of flex his riding muscles and just have a blast doing all like this kind of setup, but all through the ages. Right. And that's not what happened because the movie did terribly um, by its release, <laughs> which had little to do with the quality of the movie and a lot more to do with how it was marketed because it wasn't. It was like a stealth release. Uh, and if you stealth yeah. release back in the 70s, no one's going to see it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it also is, as far as I'm aware, at the time, one of the only um, Hammer horror productions that was uh, released with a double uh, A rating and not the X rating that all of the other Hammer films had. So that hurt it. That's this is basically <laughs> like releasing a bunch of R rated horror films and then putting out one that was like PG. <laughs> and like well, who's gonna go watch that one why wouldn't you watch all the other ones which was better better rated you know the rating has nothing to do with the quality of the movie but that's audience perception they're like well i would wait for one that's the, the rating is the rest of them seems like you may have watered down something so i think those issues um and probably some other stuff combined i know there was some uh production problems and um the, it had a it was a lower budget given to make this one uh due to it being kind of in the, the twilight um era not not that twilight <laughs> the the latter years of the um the hammer horror boom and the the studio that it was being filmed at was booked for another production um like too quickly like I know that they were they were filming the uh for an example they were filming the climactic battle um uh between Captain Kronos and one of the vampires and it uh it ended up taking too long to do the choreography and they weren't able to to add in scenes that the director wanted to do to kind of flesh out some stuff because another um movie was had to come in and do shoots on that same studio so there was issues like that, which kind of hampered um, what, what this movie could have uh, been. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, oh, I did want to point out that I actually really do like the film cinematography. It, it that's, does. yeah, that's probably the highlight. Yeah. Uh, a lot of shots shot really well and really interesting, especially uh, shots that introduce characters. Um I'm thinking mainly of Sarah, uh, Sarah, uh, 
Yes, Stewart's entrance where she she enters the frame via a mirror. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's really it's really, really clever. Um, I also really like that they are um to go back to the world building aspect that I like uh is is uh, they're very uh, explicit in saying, like, yeah, yeah, uh, there are a bunch of different kinds of vampires, and like, State Through the Heart doesn't just work on all of them. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So, yeah, she gets introduced, but and you can see her in the mirror, but hey, may not be like a no reflection vampire. So, there's also the mystery of discovering uh, what kind of vampire. Um, there is, and there is a moment in this movie that I love so much. And while I was doing the rewrites in my head, I was like, this would be a really, really funny movie or funny sequence in in if they decided to to reboot this franchise where um Kronos is attempting to figure out what kind of vampire they're dealing with via very unusual means and i'm just like this it's it's being it's it's a sequence that is played completely straight that is the funniest thing that i've seen in a really long time just given its premise of let's figure out how to kill this vampire Yeah, I think one of the um the scenes that I really enjoyed as far as the cinematography, and they do a lot of really cool uh the the cinematographer likes to use small spaces, like windows of things. Yes. Uh, I guess an example would be a, a a carriage comes by, but it crosses the the frame, stops, and then your your viewpoint is reduced to like I don't even, it's less than a quarter of the screen because you're looking just through the window of the carriage and everything else has been blocked out. And yeah. It's, it's drawing very specific to attention to things. But my favorite part is um, there's a, the, the audience is treated to a series of the um, vampire attacks. And yes. generally these consist of the audience being placed in place of the vampire. You're, you're viewing through the vampire's eyes as um the the women are mesmerized and then drained of their um vital essence but uh, one scene in particular is in a is inside of a church so it's established that through just through the scene that tr- the crosses are not going to be uh, the traditionally effective thing or the idea of um sanctified ground uh stopping a vampire that's mm. not going to work because yeah. the vampire just goes right into the church but the the scene itself is being viewed through a uh, a window in the church you're looking inside and seeing the the young woman um by a bunch of pews and there's a shadow of a cross uh kind of reflected on the wall well, not cast on the wall and the shadow slowly kind of the, the arms of the cross bend down. You realize it's not a cross, it's the vampire standing there. And it turns into like a, a shadowy embrace. But originally was this, you know, the idea of a cross like being cast. Yes. So it's it's stuff like that, that uh, that's the film's probably the strongest point is the, is the cinematography, which goes a long way to making the film um, something you would... Uh, benefit from watching multiple times just because there's a lot of little tiny tricks and little fun things that um, are kind of hidden in the the way the the scenes are blocked yeah 
Mm, I, uh, I guess on the vampires in general, um, you, you mentioned that there's, uh, I think the, the, the script and in particular, um, Professor Grost kind of, well, he does his scenery chewing, um, kind of elaborating on some of the methods or just saying, oh, there's, there's as many types of vampires as there are breeds of dog or something mm-hmm. similar um, comments to that. And he's explaining this to Dr. Marcus, uh, who unfortunately um, falls victim to the, the vampire. So not only can the vampire just drain people's life force, it can also create thralls. Yes. Um, but the thrall will as a, Oh no, I guess he does feed on one person. So the the thrall vampires can also use their power to to drain life, as we find Dr. Marcus becomes greatly um youthified. <laughs> he becomes younger. <laughs> yes. At at one point. Um and too, too much to his uh um it's not really surprise horror, I guess. He he doesn't want to be a vampire, he doesn't have control over his faculties fully. Um, he's beg- begging, of course, for um, his his good friend uh, Captain Kronos and um, the Professor Gross to, to to end him. And here's where <laughs> they they do a good job. They've already told us there's many ways, but now let's take some, let's take the time to show the audience that like five different ways um, uh, can be completely unsuccessful. So a stake through the heart did not work. <laughs> yep. Uh, hanging hanging the vampire that's popular did not work that's burn the vampire might have worked and crosses do not scare them but can kill them if they are embedded in the flesh which and and made out of steel (laughs) and made out of steel (laughs) which is yeah this is what uh go ahead oh i was just saying yeah this is the scene that the sequence that i was talking about that like is is a modern would be played as a comedy beat in a mod in a modern adaptation yeah. of this film of just like stake him and he's like nope still alive and they're like all right well there's a hook in the ceiling just silhouette of them hanging him while he's tied to a chair they're like nope not that too all right get the fire and i'm just like Oh man, they're playing it so straight, but this could be really, really funny. I really, yeah. really like. I like this. A yeah, lot. And it's and it's not like <laughs> you're watching. It's not funny. It's not. Right. Um, it's it's weird. It's almost like a neuter uh, scene because you're not you're viewing it secondarily because we're basically taking the 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 place of Carla, who's not in the the little building they're in, but can see sort of what's going on through a window. Cause the, yeah, the, the cinematographer likes to look through windows. Um, so she's not directly viewing it. She's indirectly seeing it. So we're also sort of indirectly watching most of it. Uh, and then of course we get not only Carla, but one of the, the villagers sees it and um, isn't privy to the whole, uh, Dr. Marcus being a vampire and all he knows is, oh, it's our, our village physician is being murdered by this guy that just rolled into town. So let's get a no, mob. And, let's get a lynch yeah, mob. And, <laughs> yes, the, this 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 weirdo with a rapier and a katana. Can we 
just take a moment to address <laughs> the fact that Captain Kronos has a katana and that is <laughs> never addressed once in the entire film. It's just literally, yeah, yeah, he's got a katana. Um, and, and that Grost is is a hunchback, which only really comes into play once in the movie. <laughs> they, they, they do a good job with not making that a, um, it's a character trait but it's not like a trope. Yeah. He's not an Igor. He's, he's no, a, he's, he's a professor. Yes. Um, that happens to have a hunchback. So it's not, yeah. uh, it's, it's important because it's used as a, a, it's not even, a, it's not even a joke. It's used as an impetus for a fight, uh, because yes. someone's making fun of him and, he he's not having it but equally importantly um chronos uh is not allowing that yes you know he he's more than um backing up his his friend he's willing to like basically murder people because they made fun of his uh f- friend's um appearance yes and technically it's self-defense because they were being provoked right and he does he murder he murders three people and and says, don't make fun of my friend and also answer my question about the carriage. I also really appreciated that, too, of of just him being heckled by these kind of paid goons and just constantly asking about a carriage, whether or not a carriage drove drove through. (laughs) It's like, Um, look, I'm looking for the vampires. Very serious business. Don't bug me. Answer my question. Yeah. And there, he's he's literally like, you you still haven't answered my question like three times during that scene, um, including after he's killed three people, which means <laughs> then he then he immediately gets his question answered. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing to aside from his um, possession of the uh, aforementioned katana. He is a, um, because he's a world traveler, we don't know what wars they were fighting in. Um, he's also a uh, s- prolific smoker of the uh, the ganja. <laughs> he <Yeah. laughs> enjoys a, a couple tokes, like, all the time. He's mm. So he's super laid back. Uh, we also find out that he is afflicted with um, a partial curse of vampirism. His, uh, his, his motive for his quest on crushing all the vampires is when he was away uh, at war, um, his mother and sister uh, back home were attacked by a vampire, turned into vampires and then attacked him when he came back home. So he was forced to kill them Uh, in a weird, like, it's kind of weird. It's like I had to bear their breast to drive the stake in their heart. It's like, dude, you don't have to tell someone that part. Yeah, especially when it's the lady that you're sleeping with. So it's a little awkward. But yeah, yeah, that's that's Captain Kronos. He's a bit. He's kind of. He's a little, he's an awkward guy. He's awkward. <laughs> yeah, he's super awkward, and he doesn't say a lot, and doesn't seem to really have a character other than being being super down for killing vampires. 
um, which was like part of the other part of the movie that I found like super frustrating because there are literally the scenes where he's just sitting on the ground waiting for something to happen yeah. while everybody else does does and it's stuff. it's done that way on purpose, uh, right? To, to I mean, to, it keeps him removed from like the the rabble, uh, right. and and uh, he sort of explain because Carla when she joins their their group um is asking specifically like is he a king or what you know because he's he's aristocratic but he's definitely like not involved with anybody that he feels is sort of under him right or, or he's just specifically um focused on well I have to go murder things and use physical strength to do so so I'm just gonna like relax until that point and he's also dealing with uh we don't know this in the beginning but he is fighting whatever the effects of the, the vampirism is on him yes which is why he's just constantly smoking weed <laughs> i guess to keep mellow and not be angry or i don't know it doesn't it doesn't give us we don't get the luxury of it explaining you know in the sequels that were supposed to happen more backstory or more effects. right that that's a problem with planning out a film as if it's going to have sequels and and not full sequels, but something like a serial where it's just like different adventures in the life of Captain Kronos, you know, which could Mm. have taken time to like talk about some of these things or maybe even go back further and show events of what he was doing in the war. Maybe fought vampires then because he obviously knew about them. If he went home, was bitten by his sister and then, knew to stake them to the heart something had to have happened you know during his his wartime um adventures and uh, it's so a shame, it's a shame that we don't get to find that out <laughs> so you heard it here first uh folks uh dave acknowledges that creating a cinematic universe is real tough <laughs> yeah <laughs> of course we're benefited with hindsight on that but um Yep. I'm trying to think of anything. Oh, the larger, it's not even a red herring. Um, I guess the first sort of uh, herring we get is uh, Lady Durward, who is the, the mother of Sarah and Paul. Um, she is super secretive as far as the audience is concerned. You only get a glimpse of her kind of in profile, her gloved hand, and then later a sort of... Uh, it's basically like a death mask, but it's supposed to be her face. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Strangely kind of plaster mask um, that she's, it is in fact a mask that she's wearing, but uh, it's supposed to be her face. And her, um, her husband uh, had, had passed away. Tw- was it 20 years? It was some years ago. I don't remember if it was 20. Uh, but um, he was a renowned swordsman um, in the area, and uh, this was uh, Hagen. He died from a, um, I think, a plague. Yes. And was under the treatment of Dr. Marcus. Whereas Dr. Marcus, uh, he's, he's he's viewed in high esteem by the village, but less so by the Durwards, because as far as the, the mother in particular, and to a lesser extent, the two siblings are concerned, uh, Dr. Marcus failed to um, save their, their father 
when Dr. Mike yes. said, I can't do anything. He had the plague. I can only, he's like, I'm not a miracle worker. I <laughs> he had the plague yeah, yeah. died. I can't, I can just kind of make his passing easier. Um, but the whole, uh, it turns out, uh, we'll just cut to the chase here. The whole impetus for this vampire, vampiric attacks is uh, the, the Deerwards themselves are reputed to um, have, uh, it's due to their, lineage uh they are blessed with um i guess good looks for a very long time like yes. they, they age gracefully um would, would be the word uh, and of course this is a point of contention because uh the, the daughter sarah uh she has a complex um due to that knowing that they that while they should be looking fairly well into their um twilight years uh her mother has due to her depression of the of the husband dying has sickened and like became excessively uh emaciated and elderly looking even though she's technically um maybe i don't know was she in her like f- late 40s something like that yeah that's um, the implication mm-hmm. so uh, she and i lo- go ahead oh. I I love that Sarah's like, oh, she's so old, gross. Like that's literally her entire character in this yeah. in this movie is like, ew, old people are gross and I hate them. Um, which is oh, but yeah, she's like super vain. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's but it's like a uh, it's in a good way because it like puts a very specific cast to that character and right g- gives a reason for. Thinking that she's potentially the um, the vampire. Yes, Ev- everyone everyone gets the giallo treatment uh, in that uh, everyone's super suspicious, like all the time, except for like the principal characters. So like Paul, you're like, well, yeah, it might be him. And you're like, oh, it might be Sarah too. It might be, oh, it might be, it might be the mother. Um, it might, might be it might be the doctor it's like yeah it's it's everybody yeah. all the main yeah. characters that aren't um chronos and his crew are suspect uh and then as is the um i don't maybe it was giles i don't know it sounds stereotypical so basically it's the the Durward's steward um, yeah this the, character that the, that the I, man with the strongest cheeks <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or it's his jaw. I think it was his jaw. It was very round. <laughs> yes, he's super, super foppy. Um, um immediately. Like is it um, him? And is I, it him? It's not him. Yeah. I, and I had no <laughs> idea who this character was. And again, because they don't they they treat it like you should just know this family because in the village they're super well known, right? They're like rec- the village recluse, but nobility. Right. Uh, so all the people know who they are. So you as the viewer, uh, what this movie is doing is not looking down its, on its audience, but it's also not giving quite enough information. Exactly. So it's treating treating you smarter than you than you end up being because it didn't give you <laughs> what you needed to know to get the context of things. Yeah, that's that's it. Exactly. But uh, yeah, he. Uh, I didn't know who he was until you see later. Um, yep. Him pop up again and like, oh, I guess he was the servant of the the lady <laughs> Doorward. That makes yeah. sense. All right. <laughs> and uh, 
So, okay, so well, as we mentioned, we're just going to get down to it. Um, the vampire of the movie is not Sarah. It's not Paul. It's not the servant. It is, in fact, the Lady Doerward, who is wearing an ugly mask. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because she's actually not ugly. And yes. Or, or old. Or old. <laughs> no, she's very in the prime of her life looking. Um, the, uh, ca- uh, what is this? Uh, Captain Kronos. I think both Kronos and uh, uh, Grost are, they're, they're specifically looking, um, when they mention, they, when they figure out what the vampire is or, or basically the type that they're looking for, they, they make mention of, um, or I guess uh, D- Dr. Marcus is going, oh, so we're looking for someone old. Because the the victims, they get a testimony from a bystander of one of the victim that they attacks who mentioned that the the, the whatever attacked um, his girlfriend was super old, right? And so Doctor Marcus is like, "Oh, so we're looking for someone crazy old," and both Kronos uh, and Grost are like, "No." That is wrong, you fool. We're looking for someone with the bloom of youth or whatever, like the something like that, like the the glow in their cheeks. Um, yes. Because they've attacked all these people, they are now going to be super hot. Yep. So we're looking for someone with the bloom of youth. I think that's what it was, the bloom of youth um, in their cheeks. And that's what ends up happening because the Lady Doerward is not old. Uh, so... I guess in traditional, or not traditional, but at this point, at this point, um, general vampire traits, uh, they have reflections. They yep. can mesmerize people. Um, they can be out in the daylight, but I think potentially just need to be covered up a little bit. Yeah. Like she just wears a cloak and it's good enough. Uh, right. They can turn into bats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> giant yep. rubber bats <laughs> oh man that was my favorite uh, that was a good, I was, that was a not good expecting it yeah um, a woman just gets mauled by a bat puppet and it's fantastic yeah. it's, a, it's a big bat to be fair it's not, it's not a small so one big. it's so it's 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 what it's, it's wingspan is wider than her face yeah it's, it's, it's castlevania amazing. big it really is um i'm trying to, what else they um uh, uh oh oh dave i do have to mention she also has the power of the world though uh because oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she freezes time to turn dr marcus into a vampire yes oh and it's a it's a very cool um time stop effect <laughs> I, I totally forgot about that part um what else uh they and i think we mentioned like a lot of things will not so they cannot be killed by a stake to the heart uh right oh potentially uh, cut off their head i guess the the toad the toad in the oh yes that's very good those um they they use a lot of little folklore tidbits and i didn't have a chance to look it up but that could be an actual it seemed like it could be an actual folk rhyme where it's you uh you bury a dead toad and where the vampire trode, it gives life to the toad. Something, something. It's there's a, there's a whole little rhyme, but basically <laughs> yeah. what they've done is they've. You think they would have picked a different color ribbon? They <laughs> <laughs> they buried 
toads um, uh, of like a few inches um, in the ground uh, all along a path, like a couple different branching paths in the forest. And the toads die from, of course, uh, lack of air. Mm. Uh, but to determine where the vampire's going, like they haven't seen it, but they're trying to find the carriage or whatever, uh, they after there's an attack, they go dig up the boxes and then look for a toad that's that's uh, been restored to life by the, the passing of the vampire. And it, that does work. They do find alive toads um, to, to point to where they need to go, which is a little weird. And it feels like it doesn't jive with the rest of the lore um, that's being presented to us. Uh, the, the vampires don't only drain... Uh, youth from their victims they drain it like ambiently from the environment so they're they pass by some flowers and the flowers are decayed as they go um i think that was the only example there's something with mushrooms but it didn't it didn't show what the effect was on yeah toadstools uh it felt like that was more of a like it actually happens in the movie but it felt like that was just talking about um, more the idea of youth being yeah. drained, like it's just a sim- symbolic thing, but that they made concrete um, within the, the the world of the, the film. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a good little effect, but trying to figure out if they shouldn't have to follow a trail, they should just be like our uh, toad thing. They just look for all the dead grass, you know, <laughs> the right, just exactly. sucking the life out of like the environment as they go. Um, it seemed like if they could do that, it would be also difficult to fight them in the first place because they should just be draining you and while you're near their presence. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you gotta roll. You gotta roll your initiative and 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 a, a, a resist draining the, uh, aura. Draining, yeah. Yeah. Draining aura check to make. Oh no no no! You failed that. <laughs> you, you 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 failed you failed your draining aura uh, save you have turned into a pile of dust <laughs> yeah um they can as i said we can, they can mesmer people and then the uh in the in the final kind of uh confrontation with uh, lady durward she's explaining some of these things to her um children who who were in the dark they did not know uh, what was going on so they were suspicious just because they're kind of jerks not not yeah. because they were hiding anything <laughs> yeah um they're just it, they're just it's Ponzi literally jerks yep it's literally they're just rich jerky kids uh i kind of loved it um i was super happy that they were totally in the dark because i'm like yay these characters don't get to be ruined um yeah no they're they're kept they're kept aside from that and but so the mother in explaining that she's getting mad at them because they're not wanting to go along with it. Um, and she like mesmerizes her own kids. Yep. It's like, Oh wow. Um, one fun little, uh, tidbit as we've, as we've discovered that the vampires do have reflections and can see themselves in reflections. Uh, Kronos knows this specifically, and so it may not be a thing that vampires don't have reflections in this. That right. no one mentions that we're just taking that from general vampire lore. Um, so to combat this particular type of vampire, this youth draining one, he he makes a well, he doesn't make um 
Grost forges a sword, <laughs> a very nice sword, um, out of a cross, which a, a gigantic cross. Yeah, it's a, well, it's a gigantic um, cross that was used as a, a on a, a grave marker. Um, yes. So it's probably crap, um, iron or st- steel anyway, <laughs> uh, or whatever. So he, he makes the sword, and it's like fairly ornate and stuff. Like, why do he have time to do that? He did it in like a day, um, and. I don't remember him making it, but there's a, a polished, um, like a to a mirror finish steel sleeve that Kronos uh, fits over the blade, like at the um, next to the the handguard, and uses that uh, during his encounter with Lady Durward to basically blo- he blocks his own eyes, and then Lady Durward mesmerizes herself. Yep. <laughs> so she just like is frozen for the entire like culminate the battle yeah um, and we should go back to saying that her, her whole her whole motive for all of this is one she just wants to be beautiful um and i mentioned it earlier the doers have a history of you know looking pretty when they're get older um the the kids cast doubt on their mother um earlier because uh i don't remember what family she's from but She's married into the Durward family, so she's not possessed of that longevity gene. Uh, that's, yeah. why she, that's why she succumbed <laughs> to this wasting sickness um, that she doesn't actually have, but uh, that's what they're in their mind is thinking. Well, when she's doing her ex- expositionatory talk um, at the end of the, the film, she's like, oh, I'm from the... A Rosencraft, whatever the other family is, and we do magic, and yeah. our magic what? is actually vampire. We're just vampires. Um, yeah, that's just part <laughs> of it. And she's my like, yeah, <laughs> she's like she's like she's like she's like magic and necromancers, and she says it in a way of like, did you forget this? Did you forget that this family is just a family of like magicians and necromancers? So I'm like. This is the first. This is like the second time I've heard your family name, lady. Like, calm down. It's it's cool that 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 you're all dark magic practitioners, but you can't expect everybody to know that. Your own kids forgot. Come on. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. So her whole impetus is to maintain her youth, but she's borrowing some. Of the, so what it reads as is she's taking chunks of that youth. For herself, and then splitting it with her husband's corpse, who she reanimated and is also filling full of lady youth. Uh, to, yes, to, to get him up to snuff because it, it's not. It takes like I don't know. She's probably it doesn't say how many people have been victims, but it's a lot, like ten, yeah. ten girls maybe. So it's yeah. taking quite a bit of sacrifices to get her husband um, back up to to par, and he's still he shows up and he's kind of like half rotten um yeah slightly but he's he's back in fighting form and that's where we get the cool um sword fighting um showdown between uh hagen and chronos uh and the actor that played hagen uh was william hobbs and he was actually that he's a um swords fighting master ah that's why his, his stuff looked a little better than and, uh, Horse Jensen, who still he, he comported himself fine. It was fine here. It just looked funky earlier when he's like massacring all the um, 
Oh yeah, the mob, the, yeah. That, which I don't think he killed anybody. They seem to be still walking around afterwards. But yeah, they were. They he were, beat them up. Yeah, exactly. With his um, two sword style. <laughs> oh man, I've hit, I've hit uh, you with the flat of my blade, but it has two sides. <laughs> oh. Oh, and uh, um, uh, one thing that I think is throwing off maybe some of the reception for um, Kronos is mm-hmm. the actor Horst. Uh, he's German, and he had a heavy accent. So the studio, ah. not not the director, but because the, the director was like, it's fine. Um, the studio didn't want his voice, so they right. redubbed him. Which I, I didn't even notice, but um, because the redubbing actor still has an accent right but i guess it's either fake or just not as strong as the actual um um, germanic accent that uh horse has so i'd like to see this and there's no way it exists um with his um original voiceover but just not gonna not gonna get that unfortunately right and, that, um, and that's always going to throw stuff off a little bit if you've, you've dubbed, like, one person and not anybody yeah. else. <laughs> um, I just... One thing that I just have to say about Hagen, um, Hagen's appearance in this movie is, uh, like, every indication that's been given is, like, that this wasn't planned out by him and that it's no, Lady he's, he's like a side effect i mean yeah. he's he's just been resurrected he doesn't and, re- and he wasn't like resurrect me after the plague <laughs> he just right. came back <laughs> and but but the thing that i love about it is that he's just like down for it instantly he's like oh i'm alive again yeah sure i'll i, I evil evil i guess like lady derwood evil and she's like yeah yeah evil he's like okay <laughs> evil um like I can, he's i could do that can i fight somebody yeah, yeah sure great yeah he's like a meat there is no like questioning this character isn't a character he, he he literally shows up and becomes like the last boss of this movie <laughs> But but with absolutely zero buildup or 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 investment in the plot yeah. or motivation, he's just like, oh, I get to fight somebody. Cool. Yeah, it's literally he he's he's literally just like the sword fight before you get to kill the witch queen. And I'm just like, all right, well, I I I guess um, it's a good sword fight. But I really love that it was just like, yeah, I guess I'm evil now because my 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 evil necromancer wife <laughs> raised me from the dead without my consent. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice to see like maybe some sort of like a pathos or something with him acknowledging uh, his like position. Like why? Yeah. Why have you done this to me? It would have you know added depth to the character, or I didn't think it was possible. This is great, you know, so, some kind yeah. of something. You literally he take he's he's in a spooky emperor cloak, and then he like takes <laughs> it off, and he's like, uh, I'm fighting now. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. we're doing this. He, he's in a spooky emperor emperor cloak, and then he takes off the hood, and he's got a spooky emperor face. He's he's basically a Sith. 
Um, like, no joke. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. I, 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 uh, I like it. I like, I like so much about it, except for everything involving um, nearly every aspect of its story <laughs> and well, how that story and how how that story is told. Mainly. Yeah, because everything's I, it, played so straight that it works. It just yeah. could have been better, right? Like just planned out more. It feels it feels like they just were off the cuff on everything and. I mean, part of that's got to be just the studio intervention, which always kind of goofs some stuff up. Yeah. And the film not having any sequels, but it needs to be something that stands alone by itself, which it does. You can, you, you get, it's a, it's a contained story from beginning to end. It's one event of one adventure of um, Captain Kronos. Um, And it, it has, uh, to my knowledge, two uh, novelization adaptations um, okay. of, of the film. One, I think it was released in the 80s and one, I think, from like 2011 or so. Uh, so it's it's come back into at least a little bit of the um, public consciousness as far as mm-hmm. people willing to try to resurrect um, this, this into a franchise. Um, and I guess speaking on that, the... Uh, there's a comic book, um, uh, Hammer Productions. Uh, they tried to reboot all of their, not not, not all their franchises, but just reboot Hammer horror in general um, in the mid or I guess late 2000s. That's why we got um, the 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 Lady in Black, and yes. I think it's Lady in Black, and the Lady in Black Two, and a, a couple like <laughs> t- 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 two or three other films that. I don't think any of them really did uh, terribly well, unfortunately. Um, but the this one got a um, Hammer, what's it called? Hammer Comics, just a line, and they're uh, they're doing um, it's kind of scattered releases in in addition to the um, film reboots. But uh, there is a Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter spinoff comic. Uh, this is by. Uh, Dan Abnett and Tom Mandrake. And it is a four issue, like a little mini series, which uh, as it's, it's, it's a, it's a direct sequel to the, um, the film. But oh, okay. It takes weird. Lib- it's, it's doing, it's doing what the film does and gives you no, background okay so, so, so you had to have seen the movie to feel like you at least have seen these characters before because okay. it's, it's not giving you any kind of backstory for anybody um but it's also uh making up it's 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 it's, it's a sequel in that it has the same characters okay um but it does a time skip, I guess. So he is Captain Kronos. Um, <laughs> there, there's stuff happens in between the ending of this movie and the comic starting, but we don't know how much time has passed. Uh, so I guess an example of this would be um, uh, Professor Grust has a peg leg, 
There's something happened somewhere where he lost a leg, but it doesn't it doesn't address it. It doesn't doesn't say, hey, you got your peg leg. He just has it. He just has a peg leg. <laughs> like that's just a thing. Um Carla is firmly part of the crew, whereas the movie ends with her like just being left in the village. Yep. Uh and then it it, it kind of mentions that um Gross convinced Kronos to go back and pick her up, but it doesn't it's not explicit in that. It's just kind of it's a throwaway right. line, maybe. Um, so it's a specific adventure, and the whole the whole of it is them exploring other types of vampires. Like the 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 the, the whole Chronos idea in the franchise is not to it's like to avoid <laughs> traditional Dracula um, as much as they can and just kind of dig into like whatever you know whatever they could come up with to like. Dude, a different vampire. Um, so we get uh, vampires that need to be shot and vampires that specifically um, they they can be out in the daylight. Uh, crosses don't hurt them, but crosses can hurt some of them. It's it's kind of arbitrary. Uh, right. In, in, it's, in what it's doing, just showing, I guess, showcasing even between uh, the master vampire and like the, the thralls that there's large differences like the things that hurt the thralls don't necessarily hurt the master vampire and then oh, okay th- they they do a lot of playing around with this red herrings again and you're thinking <laughs> oh it's this obviously it's this guy that's no it's actually something else and <laughs> the characters are privy to the information but not the audience yeah. so so it's again chronos and grust they know what's going on and don't bother telling anyone else because they don't I mean it's technically it's not important because as long as they know they can take care of it right but you only find out afterward in there like they like to monologue and they do in the film too they like to talk Um, yeah and so that's part and parcel of these characters is at the end they're like oh you were surprised that it was this yes I was surprised that it was this because you didn't tell anybody (laughs) until the end you just they played everything close to their to their chest and um handled the, the the problems and then at the end oh yeah it was this didn't you know it was this all along uh no i didn't know it was this all along but thank you thank you for, for solving the problem um capitan chronos uh, so there's not really they they again they just they go to a village and solve a vampire problem um there's nothing specific that would like make this any different than I think what goes on in the film, other than the types of vampires is not a youth one. It's just a vampires that suck blood. Um, they, I guess it's sort of interesting because the, the village itself um, is, is headed by a um, council, sort of a council of elders. And they said to the telling Cronus that a few years back, the, the plague of course, came through and it um, it wiped out a good chunk of the village. Um, and as the plague passed, um, something came along behind it, attracted by the dead, and has taken up residence in a um, sort of the the poor, like a poor, the poor quarter of the town. Uh, okay. And so most of the victims of that were kind of, of the plague. The, the survivors were sort of relegated and kind of pushed off into like this... It's not a leper colony, but it's, you know, it's basically cordoned off. 
uh, mm. and they're just surviving in there. There's no plague anymore, but they, they just didn't benefit from this at all. Um, right. But whatever it was that came after the plague has sort of been there for 10 years and has just been feeding on the populace there. So I guess the town's fairly large. Uh, and I don't know, stray travelers or something. It doesn't, it seems like 10 years is a long time to, for a small town to be suffering under like one, yeah. you know, threat. But uh, uh, Kronos and his crew show up because they had, they had killed a vampire mercenary troop. Um, and when they, ki- when they were killing the leader of that vampire troop, uh, he's like, I'm not the actual boss. Moha, there is another stronger boss, and he's in whatever village. So they, of course, go to that village. Um, and as it turns out, the 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 village elders are all vampires, <laughs> and the vampire that is cordoned off in that little like shanty town was um, one of their group who was... De- so the the vampire colony, basically, is what it is. They've, they take from the surroundings and they pull people in. And I guess some of the townspeople must be regular people. They're, they're basically using this as a um, farm. Mm-hmm. It's just a human, human farm. But um, <laughs> they have, like, allotments. Like, you only get so, like, rationed people. I mean, they just can't just kill everybody because there will be no no people left to to eat um right but the the one vampire that's cordoned off he didn't he wasn't satisfied with his lot and he wanted more um so as a punishment they basically made that like that little section is like a kind of a prison and they just shoved him in there and to um to deal with it i guess he's pretty powerful they couldn't take him care of him themselves uh so they basically kind of hire Kronos to go kill that vampire by saying, oh, he's the evil boss. And Kronos um, <laughs> finds out that, well, he, uh, I, he kills the, the prisoner vampire. But the whole shantytown thing, it's, they, the other vampires are still there. So he's like, well, mm-hmm. that's, something's wrong because I killed the master, but all the servants should have just died, but they didn't. Um, so it turns out that the other ones weren't... Um, servitors of that guy he's just ruling over them because he's stronger um and the elders of the city or the little town uh, are the ones that made all those vampires and they just kind of the ones that went feral or whatever from bloodlust he just they just tossed into the little prison so uh, <laughs> of course they just he just kills all kills all the elders and cleans the town out but um it's it's an interesting story but it does it pays homage, or I guess just it ties itself into the world of the film and the the style of the film. I think too too much. Like it's a good mm. it's a good sequel, but the problems that you know you pointed out and kind of issues that the pacing and things had in the film, it took those two. Oh, okay. So it's the same issue where like. It's just not explaining enough. It's giving you enough. Like I can enjoy reading it. I get it. But mm-hmm. if, you, if you try to read this and haven't watched the movie, you're definitely going to be like, what? I don't <laughs> I definitely don't understand any of these characters because it did. Like I said, it did not put any extra exposition. Right. So at least the film, 
it stands alone less than the film does. <laughs> like it's, it's it's easier to understand the movie because it's mostly because we've seen other vampire stuff and you can put everything in context. Yeah. It gives some sort of context. The 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 book or the comic book doesn't really do that. Um, it's a fun little vampire story. I mean, there's a bunch of action, create the art's good. Um, but if you're trying to follow along with these characters, you don't have anything else to like go off of. So you had to have watched the movie. Or maybe, right. maybe read the, the novelization. I don't know. Um, but I do like that they, they carry on um, all of the uh, not traditional vampire stuff. The um, the main, not the, well, the, the main prison vampire dude, he's huge. Oh, the, okay. Be, because it's a, you know, an illustrated thing and they're not, they're not constrained by um, budgetary effects and whatnot. They were free to draw like a nemesis sized dude. <laughs> he's, he's a big old boy. Um, and Kronos eventually, you know, of course, defeats him. But uh, they, the vampires, they're very specific. Look, they're all very, um, look at ghouls. Yeah. But everyone's pretty buff. It's weird. Buff, <laughs> buff ghouls. And they're starving. So I wonder like how huge they'd be if they actually had like an adequate food supply. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Carla quits herself well. She's she's now um, so uh, what what the what the book does is specify um, that Professor uh, Grost is the vampire expert. Yes, um, the movie talks about that a little bit, um, but he's the font of knowledge to Kronos's physicality, like Kronos handles the stuff specifically whereas professor Grost is the one that does all the research and he's the bobby of the, the group <laughs> i guess if we were supernaturalizing it um uh, carla is taking um she's taking up the mantle of uh professor Grost's protege better than chronos does because chronos is He's bringing to the game like a lot of problems because of right. his affliction. Um, the the comic does address that a little bit more, and he's also super. I mean, he's kind of impulsive in the in the the film, but he really is in the comic. He just goes off by himself doing stuff. It's like, dude, you're just one man. Like, you're not superhuman. You don't have any other attributes um, other than like you got two swords, and. She has a little, little more of a level head, um, trying to actually come up with plans and kind of do things like that. Uh, but it sort of tempers Kronos to a to a degree because he has actually backup, whereas um, uh, the professor, now that he's one legged, um, doesn't do as much physical stuff. But there's there's a couple panels where he's. He's doing as much ass kicking. Um, I think <laughs> I'm looking at one panel right now, and I'm pretty sure he just like flying leap kicked a vampire with his peg leg to kill it. Like he's using I his peg leg as a stake. I uh, I was I was about to say I hope it's in the chest. Okay. I, yeah. I, no. It's I, it's I, it's kind of good. <laughs> um. I'm always I'm I'm glad super glad that they gave uh, uh, Carlos some agency 
um, uh, something that she was severely lacking. Yeah, she's in lacking in the, in the film. She's basically being used as bait. We didn't discuss that, yeah. but um, that's unfortunate uh, side effect of it's a Hammer film and also in the 70s. So <laughs> her yeah. agency was limited, um, which is a little bit surprising given that uh, um, the, the director who also did the screenplay um, has fairly strong characters, female characters in Avengers series. So I don't know. Um, that may have been something that uh, I think the artists, or the, 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 the writers and artists of the comic picked up on was a necessary thing. It's necessary that she has agency um, and is like of equal standing um, with uh, both Kronos and um, uh, Dr. Gross, Professor Gross. Yes. Yeah. I, it's, it's a, it's a fun little read. It's a, it's short. It's just four issues. Um, the, like I said, the art style is really good. It reminds me of the art in the Bloodborne comics actually. Okay. Um, and they made, uh, I don't I can't even tell if um, Grost has a hunchback and it's super weird. Maybe they just cut off his leg instead. <laughs> like, and he's buff. <laughs> I guess you mean he's buff. The old, the, yeah, the old <laughs> professor, he's like buff. And I don't think he has a hunchback. It's really strange. He's like, well, we can't give him a hunchback. We'll just cut off his leg. But make him no less effective. Right. So he's, he's smart he's, and he's just like killing vampires with his peg leg. That's cool. We'll trade one malady for another. So there, I, I guess that's what they did. And they don't explain anything. So you're just like, I, he just doesn't have a leg now. But maybe he's not a hunchback. I can't tell because it never shows him from like a profile. It just shows him from the front. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's just me at this point rambling. So uh, that's that's Captain Kronos, the slayer of many vampires and of ladies' hearts. Oh. <laughs> awesome. So uh, we're going to wrap up the show tonight here then, I believe. Yeah. Um, Dave, where can people find you? I'm generally on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. That's, that's pretty much Excellent. it. Yep. Uh, Leonard, yourself and your many glorious work. Uh yes, uh you can find me at on Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead. You can also find me on YouTube under the same name, Dr. Faust is dead. Surprise, I'm still working <laughs> on that video. That video that is is I'm sure has become my portrait of Dorian Gray. The <laughs> moment that it is it is finished and others view it, I will wither and die and produce nothing of substance ever again. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, I have posted a video of my cat snoring. It's very cute. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at mon underscore D monster to keep up to date with what's going on with us. We know you want to follow us, Richard Gear. Come on. <laughs> uh, and with that, good night, everyone. We'll see you next episode. Bye-bye, y'all. Goodbye. <laughs>